This broadcast of the PJC Media Network seeks to present wholesome, thought-provoking, and entertaining content. However, the views expressed by the hosts of PJC Media are theirs and theirs alone. They do not reflect the views of this network or its affiliates. Please utilize listener discretion. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Let's Talk About It with Jenny White Show. Each week, we feature different topics concerning issues that sometimes can be difficult to talk about. These issues concern children and adults who may be autistic, have Asperger's, or have mental disorders of any kind. We will discuss law enforcement and how they interact with these persons. Now, let's start the show. Hello, hello, hello. Good evening. Everybody, uh, what you guys think about this wa- uh, weather? I think it's crazy, and it hasn't been any rain. So I'm just kind of uh, <clears throat> hot. That's all I can say. But anyway, coming back, we're talking tonight about adoption agency fight fights to continue finding black children homes. And that's what we're talking about not tonight. And we have a guest, Miss Sonia Hicks is going to be our guest today. Sonia, do me a favor, push the one, the number one on your phone. If you're here, I hope. There you go. I thought that was you in the first place. How are you doing this this evening? I'm doing fine. And it's Sandra or either Sandra. Sandra okay. or Sandra. Yes. Uh, you want to call me Sandra, that's fine. That's okay. I'm sorry. I want to say what you okay. want to say. Can I say just Ms. Hicks? <laughs> But it's okay. Hi, I know. Uh, I think you said Sonia. I don't know if you said Sonia. <laughs> you know yeah. what? I have a uh, my son uh, married a Sonia, so maybe that's why. Oh, that's why. Yeah. Yeah. But I'm glad uh-huh. you're here. Um, yeah. Thank you for about, having me. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, we're talking about black children make up almost 14% of the population of children in the United States, but 23% of those in foster care. Black children are twice as likely to enter the foster care system as white children and remain in the system about nine months longer. More families of color are needed to foster and adopt black children to provide a racial mooring for the children. As of September 2020, more than 400,000 children were in the foster care system in the United States. While there are children of all races in the system, a disproportionate number of those children accounted for almost 14% of the children in the nation. Yet, 
they made up 23% of the kids in the child welfare system. So uh, I don't know. I don't know. Um, what do you think? What do you think, Sonia, about the children, uh, you know, being 14% of the population, but 23 of those in foster care? I know, and that's why I feel a lot of times they say the children of color are misrepresented in dealing with the, you know, the proper statistics, but more children of color, and not just African Americans, um, Hispanic children, Mm -hmm. um, children of color in general, enter care. Because a lot of times, children not of color they get the opportunity a lot to bypass the system as far as having relatives come forth. And in the past few years, and I would say probably in the last 10 years, we do have more relatives to come forth for our children until they can either go back home or to find some other type of permanency for them. So that percentage has increased compared to years ago, which I'm glad to see. We have more aunts, uncles, grandmothers, grandfathers come forth so the children can remain in the family network. Now, the main ultimate goal of all agencies is to return home to the parent, if at all possible, once they rectify whatever situation brought that child into care. But if that's not possible, that's why the next avenue is relatives. So they're very, very crucial um, oh, okay. as far as placement of the children. Mm-hmm. Well, tell me this. How long have you been working with the kids? Working with kids in general or particularly working with homes for black children? Well, with the homes with black children. Well, homes with black children, I've been there 17 years. Oh, okay. And you're not supervised the adoption department. Have that uh, been a long time? What? The Homes for Black Children. Homes for Black Children have been around 54 years. Oh, wow. 54 years. We're one of the older African-American adoption agencies. That's how we started out. And we started out as a temporary um, pilot program to recruit families of color to adopt children of color because they weren't being recruited. I don't know what the problem was or, or even if they were own up of what the problem was, but we were purposely started to recruit families of color, and it became successful to where eventually we ended up becoming an independent agency oh, out of a pilot okay. program 50, over 50 years ago. So and we've always remained in the city of Detroit. Oh, they are still in the city. Yeah, we're still in the city of Detroit, yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's a good thing. That's a good mm-hmm. thing. Um, I was just wanted to know, do you have many people coming about? Do you have anybody that bring uh, children back? Bring children back as far as what, back into foster care? Right. 
No, you mean once they provided permanency, then what, rescinding adoption? Right. I'm glad to say it's very, very low. Very low. Okay. Yes. I mean, we've had foster parents to adopt, recruited families to adopt, and relatives to adopt, and that's um, very, very rare. Not to say adoption cannot be disrupted, but that percentage is so low, which I'm glad. I mean, that percentage is under 3 2%. Okay, yeah. that's pretty good. So do you have yes. any, a uh, lot of people with the same sex getting the children as well? Yes. Yes, we do. We okay. um, study and do an assessment of People of all um, backgrounds. So we do have same-sex people that adopt. But now, same-sex people, the only way they can adopt together, they have to be married. And that's what I was going (laughs) to... That's exactly what I was going to say. Okay. Mm -hmm. Okay. If a couple is not married, we'll focus on one person, whether it's heterosexual couple or same-sex couple. So we'll focus on one person, and then the other person can serve as the adult in the household, and they'll be their support person. Oh. Oh, okay. Yes, because to adopt, yeah, you have to be either married, single, or divorced to adopt. Okay. Okay, that's interesting. But you can still Mm -hmm. be single, right? You could be single, yes. Yeah. Okay. So how old do you have to be? At least 18 years old. Oh, so... And there's no age limit requirement. Okay. If you you have some children that have split up because the older ones, you know, can just go wherever, and the younger kids happen to be in the system... Can one of the children, they can go and get their sibling if they're Absolutely. 18. Okay. Absolutely. Because yeah. normally the age is 21, but when it's a sibling, they make an exception for the 18-year-olds and 19-year-olds, 20-year-olds for siblings, yes. Okay. That's pretty good. But there's no uh, age limit like it was in the years ago. The age limit used to be 35 years old. Now it's not an age limit. Well, do you have have parents who maybe had a a problem and split, and the kids ended in your guys' group? If they don't want a each one of them, maybe it's one kid, and they both want that one child. How does that work? You mean if more than one person expresses the interest of a child right. that's available for adoption? They, okay. Yeah. And that's both considered what we call a competing party. And we have to study and make an assessment on both families. And then the Michigan Children's Institute, which is called the MCI office here in the state of Michigan, they're the temporary guardians 
of the children until we find permanency of all children that's permanent court wards and parental rights have been terminated. So once we turn in the study, home study to that department in the best interest of the child, they have to make the decision who is best suited to issue consent for adoption to that individual. So it could be very emotional because somebody's going to be disappointed. Yeah. But that's Sometimes how it's handled it's, with the competing parties. And some suppose the child didn't want to go with this particular What all the parents see you gotta look at the age of the child. That makes a difference. Now once a child turns fourteen, they could say if they want to be adopted or not. And sometimes due to loyalty to their parents, they may say, Well, I wanna remain with my aunt. I want to remain with my grandmother, but I don't want to be adopted because they feel loyalty to their parents. So the state has another avenue called subsidized guardianship, which is similar to adoption, but it's just that you only have legal say of that child until they're 18, and they keep their name. You don't do any name changes, but they do receive monetary support subsidy as part of that, just like you would receive um, monetary support subsidy when a child is three and older, you know, depending on the circumstances. So that's another option we could do when older kids would say, I don't want to be adopted. Oh, wow. Do you get many of those? No. The percentage is not high with that either. Yeah, I wouldn't think so. In the last few years, I've only had one child. He was placed with his aunt, and we were already to file the petition. We were actually in court to where he had to meet with the judge or the referee to sign his consent packet last year. He changed his mind. He said he didn't want to be adopted by the aunt, and naturally he's been recently having contact with his biological mother, so the aunt figured she probably influenced him. So he's no longer with that aunt. He's with a cousin now, and I think that cousin is going to do subsidized guardianship because he, even though he's a permanent court ward, he doesn't want to be adopted. So we had to withdraw all our papers from the court. Oh, he wow. He changed his mind. Yeah, because he was 15. He changed his mind. Yeah. But she so that wanted, happens. Does it happen a lot? She, no. Did she try to get him before he got older? No, he was only placed with that aunt for a year. Um, and oh. we started the adoption procedures. Yeah, he was. He had been with the mother. But then he came into foster care. I think he was 14. Because his mother had a lot of mental health issues and different things going on, so she couldn't properly care for him. But he still had that loyalty to his mother. Well, to you, some kind of way, um, after the child has been gone to the adult, do you guys still kind of look, you know, and see how it's going or whatever? Well, it depends on the case. If the child has been in that person's home less than six months, we have to supervise the adoption. So we get a placement order. We don't get a finalization order. 
So we have to supervise that adoption for six months. So the worker will go out to the house every month minimum. Sometimes they may have to go out more often to see if everything's going okay, if a smooth transition has been made. But if it's a child that's been with this relative and been with them for the past year or so and we finalized the adoption, we don't have we have support groups and everything and we give them resource information for post adopt services if the child were to need counseling or speech and language therapy. But we don't have any legal obligation to monitor that adoption case once it's finalized. But naturally, just like anything else, they could call us for advice. You know, I have people call me all the time for different things that may be going on and they wanted advice for something or they misplaced their resource packet we gave them so they want another resource packet because we have to give them that when we finalize the adoption. So we're just not obligated to formally supervise the adoption in most cases. That's really interesting that what is Mm -hmm. uh, inside of what you give the kids other than their clothes. What you mean? Um, You said you give them a package or something? Oh, a resource package that has all different resources like counseling services, because there's a lot of, it's more post-adopt services here in the state of Michigan compared to like 20 and 30 years ago. So we give them a listing according to various counties or cities. In case, you know, as a child grows older, they may need some type of counseling. So we give them resources that they could utilize to help them with the children. It may be certain trainings they may want to attend, or they still come to support groups. You know, we provide uh-huh. support groups for foster adopt parents so they can still participate in training. Okay. So mm-hmm. once they're 18, that's it, right? They can just walk the on. The adoption, um, <laughs> well, I mean, the 18, they could still stay with the adopt parent or like with some 18-year-old, they may go off to college. They may join the service. I mean, but the money that helps the adopt parent, that money stops when they're 18. Okay. And I think the adoption Medicare stops too, to where a lot of times people will add the child onto their own private insurance in addition to getting the state Medicare because that Medicare is going to end when they're 18. Oh, wow. not Medicare, Medicaid. Yeah. Hmm. So they have to, I guess, find a job or something? Yeah, I hope. I mean, just like you would do with your own kids. I mean, they could work summer jobs, and you got to prepare them for adulthood. You know, now, it's unfortunate. The percentage is not real high, but it can happen. We do have some kids that will contact us when they're 18 and 19, for I don't, for whatever reason, if it's a reason due to them or a reason due to the adopt parent, to where the adopt parent has put them out the house. Mm. A lot of times that subsidy money ends, 
you have some people that have done that. Is that percentage high? No. But that can happen, and it has happened, but it doesn't happen often. And that's one of the sad part of the cases. So sometimes we have to work with that youth when they contact us, not formally but informally, to give them resources on how to survive out there. Yeah. You know, if they had to leave the adopt home. So we don't say, well, no, I can't talk to you. You were adopted. We can't talk to you anymore. No, we try to help that youth and give them um, resources. Just like I had, a, I had to write a letter a couple of weeks ago for one of our youth that contacted me. He's back here in Michigan. He's trying to get into college, and he's trying to get an apartment that's linked to the college, and he could get an apartment if he has verification that he was in the system in foster care. So I talked with the apartment manager, so she told me what she needed in the letter so he can get an apartment so he can go to college in Adrian, Michigan. So I wrote him a letter, and we emailed it to the property manager so he can get an apartment. So things like that. So we do have kids that they reach out to the agency if they need, need something because he's like 25 now. And we dealt with him when he was like 10, 11, 12, and 13, but he's 25 now. So, um, yeah, I wrote a letter oh. and we um, to help him out. And I told him to maintain contact to let us know how he's doing. So he, he's, he does that. So he had to, well, he was there, but he didn't have to pay, right? Right, because it's, they'll pay, I don't know if he had to pay a small stipend, if he was going to get like a work study so he can have like a job while he's okay. in college up in Adrian, Michigan. So I don't know exactly how it's going to work. He definitely needed verification that he was in the foster care system, which would help him immensely as far as getting an apartment and getting some type of um, financial aid for school. Now, that was pretty good. You know, mm-hmm. uh, for him wanting mm-hmm. to go to school, he must exactly. have had a, a good family when he was with them. Well, he was with relatives. He wasn't adopted. Oh, okay. He didn't want to get adopted. He was with relatives. And then when he was 18, he left and he went out to California. So he was out there for a few years. And then now he's back in Michigan. Oh, okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, he's doing pretty good, then. That's all I can say. Oh, yeah, and I told him, you know, to maintain contact with us, and and he has our cell phone numbers of the people that he talked with, some of the staff is still there. So, um, and I have his cell phone number, so I can call every now and then to check in on him, see how things are going. So, yeah, so so they always look at the agency in a way that the, the children and the parents Adopt parents, even some birth parents, some foster parents, I guess that's a safety net. Mm. Yeah, they'll definitely call them. Mm -hmm. Well, that's pretty good. So, but you still have some that stay with you guys until they get to be 18, right? Yeah, and age out. And a lot of those kids, we try to get them, like a couple of young men, they were going to be adopted, but the, the families kept changing their minds. So what I did to prepare them 
we got them into an independent living program, and they can stay in that program until they're 22. And so that's resources. And then they can get into school and everything because they can get the tip um, information as far as their tuition. And then some of the colleges, if the kids have been in foster care, they'll pay four years and room and board. So with those um, young men, we got them into an independent living program. So they stay in an actual house, and it's like for young men, and they have their own room, and they can use the common area. they like a case manager, kind of monitored. You know. But two young men that I'm talking about, they both turned 18 in December. So the court has terminated their wardship. So they totally aged out of the system prepared them and got them into an independent program, wouldn't just be out there on the streets. So this is a house with someone in it or? Yeah, they had the staff. They had staff come in and check in on them. And they get like food stamps. They have food. They get a stipend every month to teach them budgeting money. The way they save some of that money and some of that may pay for rent, some of the budget and everything. So they, they teach them all of that. Teach them how to cook, clean, wash, iron. So they learn. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. This is a real uh, nice situation that you guys have mm-hmm. set out for the kids. How many children yes, do you not have? Everybody could be adopted, you know, so we have to try other avenues. Have you had any babies? To get adopted? Oh, yes. Mm-hmm. Oh, really? All ages, 0 to 17. Okay. okay. Yeah, all do ages. Do you have many babies? Not a lot. You never know what we're going to get calls for. I mean, we get calls for all ages, 17. Okay. Yeah, so you never know. Okay. Well, we have one person who would like to say something to you. And hello. Mm -hmm. Tell us who you are. And hello, Miss Denny White. And to Hi, our wonderful guest this evening, I remember yes. having problems with homes for black children years ago because uh, I wanted—I was single. My name is Lucy, and I was single, and I, I, I worked for social services, so I wanted to adopt because I wasn't—you know—I didn't see any marriage coming forth. But I wanted to adopt, but I wanted a baby boy, and they kept telling me because you're single. That was back in the '90s, though. So, uh, because you're single. What we would do is give you a child, not a baby. We'll save the babies for the married couple. I remember they told me that. I said, well, no, I didn't want that. I wanted a baby boy. That's what I wanted. And uh, I knew I started the papers, but I would never finish the papers. And I went to another agency. So my sister told me, she said, why don't you get into foster care? And so that's what I did. But to bring it to a conclusion, I finally adopted four children. Um... And I did get my baby boy at the end. <laughs> but, uh, That's good. What, I is remember your, what is your name? Lucy Payne. Do I know you? You probably do. <laughs> What's you your probably name? Do. 
Lucy Payne. I worked with describing the social services. I was there for 37 years. Mm, I don't but recognize I was, that name. Yeah, I ended up with, what's the, the one that was on, on Southfield? I forget the name of it. The o- Orchard. Orchard Children's Services. Yeah, I was with Orchard. Probably that's where I know you from, because at Orchards before I came to Home to Black Children. I may know you from Orchards. Yeah, you probably did, yeah. yeah. And um, I, I got in the fall. 14 there. years. You did? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I used, yeah well, to, I, I used to license all the foster homes, and I did all their training. Yeah. Ah. Mm-hmm. Do you remember Nisa? Do you remember the heavy lady named Nisa? Um, oh, she was very heavy. She took Lisa all the boys. Uh, yeah, she's gone. They, no. You know, listen, she was real heavy. In fact, she was bedridden, but she could take mm. care of those teenage boys. Yeah, but um, I ended up with four. I kept. I have three three boys and one girl. Well, that's and, good. Um, Eighty nine. I got two that was born. One was that was born in eighty seven, and I got him when he was three. And I got his sister. She was born in eighty nine, but she came into care first. Dominique mm-hmm. and um, um, she she's just turned thirty four, and she's a nurse. Mm-hmm. And um, and gave me four grandkids, <laughs> but uh, and then um, Lemetrius uh, Lemetrius Payne Lemetrius Lamont Moore that was his name then he's uh, thirty four he'll be thirty four this month, and he works at uh, Dana Corporation he finished two years of college, and um, okay. let's see Darnell now he's my problem child but he's still he'll be 37 i got him when he was three and um but he's highly educated highly educated you know just want to do his own thing but um very good and uh let's see luke Payne. he's in he's in insurance he sells insurance how was he very, when very you got good. him he was two weeks i got him straight from the you know since i worked for social services when they brought him to me uh, in fact, I had the three children already, those ones, and the, the woman had read my record because I wanted a baby boy. And so I was just satisfied with the three I had. And so I came to bring them for visitation, and she said, this new worker said, you might know her too, because um, she adopted four children too. She says, uh, I got a baby for you. I said, you kidding? <laughs> three. And she mm-hmm. said, I got a baby. He's, in fact, he's at the hospital. He's waiting for you. Oh, and he was wow. born, he just May the 28th, 1991. I got him, I think, two weeks later, June the 12th. And because the workers were surprised when the PS workers brought him to my house. He was at New Grace Hospital. You know, that hospital was gone. Right there, Myers. And they brought him to me. Yeah. And uh, they asked, what you going to name him? And I, put, I said, well, name him Luke, you know, right off. And they had, when the the, the Medicaid cards came to the agency, how did you get that baby's name on? So, <laughs> you know, they asked me. But I knew the PS workers that brought him. And now he just turned 32. Oh, heaven. And he's in insurance. Mm-hmm. He's been to college, you know, in various jobs. But he likes being an insurance salesman. And so he's been doing very well in that. Yeah, he just came back from Puerto Rico. I said, oh, my goodness. Oh, you know? okay. So far they're doing okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. What is her name? Because the worker that told me about Luke, she ended up adopting four children. It was a family, and she's been doing very well. What's her name? I can't think of her name. But um, I'm satisfied. Hey, 
I um and I got four children. Uh, Dominique, my daughter, had a good time, and um, so uh, she's working on her bachelor's of science uh, for nursing now. She works at uh, DMC. In fact, um, she knew the girl that just got killed down there. That was the, uh, one of their supervisors. Oh, okay. Yeah, she knows that. So they're doing their thing, mm. yeah. <laughs> and um, I was pretty much satisfied with them. I think I became too satisfied. <laughs> no. But, um, it's, it, was, it's, it was a good program. It was a very good program. Yeah. Like I said, the baby, he's 32. My oldest is 37. And uh, they, all, they all finished high school. Um, all of them had a taste of college. All of them, you know. And uh, the one that was supposed to be special ed, he uh, he gave me two years of college, Wayne County. He graduated from Wayne County two years. That's Demetrius. And uh, pretty pretty much so, yeah. But I know they kept telling me, we're going to give you a, a, a child. You can't have a baby. We're going to save the babies for the married couple, you know. Hmm. So I, don't, I don't know of them. Uh, you know, I wasn't there at that time, so I can't speak on yeah, that. No, I know. Ago, yeah, no, years ago, yeah. We only told people that since I've been there. Yeah. yeah, that was like in 1989, you know, 1990. Yeah. Yeah, and I came there in 2006, so, yeah. Uh-huh, so, yeah, well, I was in 89, 90, and I made it through, and um, I was older, too. You know, I didn't think they would let me adopt because I was older. I was in my 40s. Mm-hmm. I adopted, I is, is there an age? Years ago it was. Like we're talking probably 40 years or plus ago, if you were yeah. over 35, and if you weren't married, you could not adopt years ago. But now it's no age limit. We just have to assess, you know, that applicant individually, you know, to make sure they can meet the needs of the children. That's the main concern. Yeah. But we can't say, well, you're 40 years old and you cannot adopt. It, yeah. It's no age limit. Yeah, I know my sister had to say, they say, well, Miss, they told me uh, when we went to, I think we had to go to court, I'm not mistaken. She says, and what's the plan for these children if anything happens to you, to them? And so my sister, who was younger than me, she and her and her husband, they said they would stand in for me, you know. And, uh, so that's Yeah, you have to have an alternate care provider yeah. identified in case something would happen or you, if you were to become disabled, who would finish raising the child? So we do yeah, but still in place today. People still have to identify what they call an alternate care provider. Yeah, they ask me all those questions. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I have been working yeah. in social services. You know, I just I just retired from social services back in November two thousand two. So I worked all the time all that time when okay. I had thirty seven years. What is her name? Oh boy, I can't think of the worker that. You have to look at her. I said, yeah, you gave me Luke. <laughs> oh. But she adopted her. Also, yeah. She adopted him. Yeah. So I just wanted to tell you my experience with uh, an adoption. You know. and it, has, it has really changed, though. It really has. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thanks so much, Ms. Jenny White, for letting me share. Oh, no problem. <laughs> I'm yeah. glad. Yeah, because homes are not as stable anymore. 
the emphasis is now, even with dealing with my daughter, they still see themselves as young and they, well, Mama, would you do this? Mama, would you do this? And I'll pick the kids up from school for me. Mama, do this. Mama, you know, I'm, 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 you know, all of this is happening, you know. And because I got used to it, you know, because I, when I became a mother, I made my mind this was it, you know. But uh, they don't make up their mind like that no more, <laughs> you know. But I have a, a grandson who just recently, uh, his father died of pancreatic cancer. But then his father made a, a way for them, for this one, and, uh, you know, dealing with death and stuff. And um, yeah, but, but before then, I was taking care of everybody. Just add them to the pile, add them to the pile, you know, because mm-hmm. I got used to it. I had mm-hmm. a routine for it and all of this. But um, it's different with parents, especially the single-parent households. It was my understanding we have about 70% single-parenting households now. Within our community. Oh, yeah. Those figures. About a single parent, yeah. Yeah, and then they don't want to, you know, they don't want to be nailed down, you know. They see it as a taking away from them, you know. It just happened that, uh, you know, even after dealing with mine, I had to deal with the grandchildren a lot and uh, getting them off to school. And I had my oldest granddaughter, she'll be 18 in August. And, um, it's just it's been something really. I kept telling the mother, I said, listen, this is your job, you know. I didn't get mine with you, you know. But um, they don't want to, to me, they don't want to settle down. There's something about this, you know. And COVID really messed up our community. I mean, it really did, even more, even harder, because people are afraid to bring the children in. You know, you don't know what you're bringing in and all of this. I hear a lot of women I knew who were, like, uh, if, uh, on an emergency basis, you could take, they would take the children to their homes and service them and all of that. But one woman, uh, she was just telling me, we worked at social services together. She said, all I do is stay at the doctor's office with these kids. I stay at the doctor's office. I'm over here. I'm over there. And so a lot of them are pulling out, you know, that transitory, you know. They're pulling out of that, my understanding. But because um, they're tired, too, <laughs> you know. But uh, it's, it's, it's something. It really is. It really is. Yeah, well, I'm sure. I'm sure it's got to be yeah. something. Uh-huh. Yeah. Well, I have a question, though, um, for uh, my guests. I was just wanting mm-hmm. to yes. know, do more black women give up their babies? Mm. So you're talking about voluntary yes. direct consent adoption? We've had, I don't know if because of the name, Homes of Black Children, but years ago when we had our infant adoption program, the percentage was higher for young African-American girls wanting to do consent adoption, giving up their child. Um, for adoption, no. we do Caucasian, but primarily, like I said, I don't know if it had to do with the name. We had, um, you know, more African American women years ago. You mm-hmm. had more what? I didn't hear that. African American women call and say they want to give up their um, child for adoption. 
And that's called direct consent adoption. Okay. Mm -hmm. Are there any times that you deny the the parents for giving their child away? No, they can't be denied. What it is, it's a window. It's a 21-day window. Once that child is born, the child will go home to the prospective family that they chose. See, they read adoption profiles on different families with the direct consent adoption, and then they would pick what family they would want to raise their child. But it's still a risk factor. It's 21-day risk factor to where that biological parent could change their mind and say, well, I want to keep my child. So that's the risk when you're dealing with infant adoption. That's different than the state ward adoption. The bulk of adoptions um, in this state is state ward adoptions, but agencies, they have a very large program because that's their main thing is infant adoption. Mm-hmm. So they may get a higher percentage of women you know, of color, Caucasian, Hispanic, because they have a larger infant adoption program. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's a very expensive program. You know, mm-hmm. some agencies charge twenty and $25,000 for a couple to adopt through infant adoption. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. That is something else. Yes, it is. Uh-huh. So yeah. Is, yeah. They're more black. Do you use your house? Yeah. Uh, pardon? Do you use Coventry House a lot for the for the uh, uh for an eighteen year old or nineteen year old? You still go uh, do you use Coventry House? Is it Coventry? Yeah, I know what you're talking about. Um they still have yeah. that program that will help the the youth like eighteen, nineteen, twenty years old. For males and females, yeah. they still have that program. They're right there on Martin Luther King Drive and the um, yeah. Jeffrey's 96 Freeway. Yeah, they're still there. You know, I, I know that when we, every I, day. You just, uh, I sent, when my daughter, um, she was, uh, when she first got pregnant, I sent her to Catherine Ferguson. I wish they had not closed that school. Catherine Ferguson, Miss Andrews, because she really helped them. In fact, that's how. Mm-hmm. Um, she got into nursing because, that, you know, she was trying to work with you. Know, you could take your baby with you and stuff like that. And so what she did mm-hmm. was, Miss Andrews, she took them, they started working down at women's hospital as in the dietary. And both of them, her, 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 one of the girls, both of them went to, and that's how, and then they have showed them how to do patient care. And they've been in patient care all this time, and that's where they've been taking care of their families. Then my daughter, you know, she went out to school crap for her two years. Um, and, to, you know, she got her uh, BSN, not BSN, but registered nurse, you know, being a registered nurse. Now she's in a program where I think it's going to take about 18 months, and she'll get, hopefully she'll get her, uh, is it Bachelor of Science in Nursing? That's what she's yes. doing now. Uh-huh, that's great. That's great. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Other, yeah. But do you have the program where the, the girls and their babies, I know that we had, I worked with the Detroit Rest Commission, that was Louisville Stewart back in the day. That was what? Remember Louisville Bell Stewart? They would work with the mothers and the babies. 
Oh, yeah, Lulu, I remember that name, yeah. But right here, Detroit Rescue Mission Ministries, they work with the, um, uh, the girls that bring their babies and they live there, and they would teach them how to be, you uh, spend their money, all, everything. And they went back and forth to school to Captain Ferguson. That's how they two they, they both met, uh, her, one of her girlfriends. And uh, she's working like, she likes, is over a house where you have the elderly people. And she has to govern that house and keep it going. So she's making pretty good money. Her son just graduated. Her son that she had at 14, he just graduated from high school. And he's going on to college. And she has two more children. So they've been doing very well. But she was the top person as far as grades and things at the Church Rescue Mission Ministry. Very good. But they had that struggle. They kept them, you know, acclimated, teaching them how to be housewives, right. teaching them to all of that. They had a very good program there at Detroit Rescue Mission Ministry. And see, a very, lot very of those good. programs have closed due to lack of funding. Yeah. And a lot of yeah. those programs, they were excellent programs, like you said. Yeah. yeah. Very, very good program. And she observed, and she, she, once you teach them, she, they stay in that, you know, that mode of how you buy your food, you know, making a, 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 a Menu for every day of the month, you know. Mm-hmm. Keeping their house clean, all of this. Oh, she's really beautiful at that. You know, she has her own personal life, but you know, she keeps everything together. And she's the yeah. child that she had was fourteen. He just graduated, you know, and she's thirty-four. She had two other little girls and stuff, but she's very good, very good, very very good. And her son's getting ready to go to college, but like you say, the that's fun good. Day. Yeah, we have some good uh, turnouts there. Yeah, we do need funding for that. And that, what's the other one? It's one called. Um, they had a water problem recently. Oh, the water, the main water, water something broke in the place. Oh boy, I can't think of the name. because uh, I was reading about it. I think I heard about that on the news. I can't remember the name either right now, but I think I know. Yeah, but it's, it's, pop, it's a popular, yeah. It's a, yeah, they were trying to get funding to fix it, but they had uh, women and children there also. Yeah, it's interesting, though. Yeah. Thanks so much for allowing me to share with you. Oh, you're welcome. You're always welcome. You know that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's yeah, anytime you get to talk things. about children, yeah. <laughs> well, anytime you get to talk about children. But I, I did, um, I think that was the most I wanted to know about black women giving up their babies more so than uh, anybody else. Mm-hmm. I think, I, I think that's, I, I that I don't like. <laughs> But that's me. Well, we don't know the exact percentages. Like I said, the larger agencies, they deal with women of all races. So mm-hmm. you can get a better percentage when you're dealing with a larger agency. Like I said, when I came to Homes of Black Children, they were doing infant adoptions too. Because that's mm-hmm. how they started out with infant adoptions. And then we were working along with Lutheran and Catholic Social Services to get the infants, and we recruited the families. 
So they recruited a, recruited a lot of families of color. So back then they were focusing just on that. So it's kind of hard to talk about an exact percentage, but then once they became an independent agency, then they were getting into care and licensing for foster parents. We were still doing infant adoption, but it was a little different than how when they mm-hmm. first started out. So nationally, I'm assuming by the name Homes of Black Children, and they kept that name because it's a historical name because a lot of agencies yeah. have patterned their agency after us from all over the country. So the CEO, the founding CEO, she used to go and speak all over the country. They had a Homes of Black Children in London, England. People used to wow. come because they wanted to know what they were doing to recruit these families. So next mm-hmm. we would have African Americans call us because the national of black children. I don't know if they felt more comfortable, but that program was around a few years after I was there, and we haven't done any infant adoptions probably, say, in the last six, seven years. You know, so mm-hmm. we're not into infant adoption anymore. We just do the regular state adoption now. But if you look like Bethany, some of those larger agencies, yeah, they Bethany, may yeah. be able to represent a bigger percentage of women and the race of the women that do call to give their child up. They could probably mm-hmm. give a better number. Yeah. Uh, so do I'll you, just like, can I answer? Go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. I also, I, I did something, because I was an older mother, I made all of my children uh, uh, send for their records so they can find out who their biological parents are. And I was glad to do that. And uh, mm-hmm. I made so that they would know, you know, they would know their background. And so, mother, why do you want to do that? They were comfortable. I said, no, if something happens to me, you're older now. I want you to know who your people are, you know. And so they did and that. And I'm glad to hear you say that. Because most of the time, and then I got jealous. Hey, then I got jealous. <laughs> I got jealous. <laughs> but most of yeah, our parents are threatened by that. You know, we tell them when a the child turns 18, they can legally search for their family, and their family can legally search for them, not necessarily the biological parent. Sometimes the biological parent does call us, or either their siblings can legally search for them once the child has turned 18, we do post-adopt services. So we get calls from people oh. that was adopted through homes of black children 30 years ago looking for family. Uh-huh. So we do post-adopt yeah, well, services, too. Yeah, and some of the history and some of the reasons why things kids have been in the system, it was wild and woolly. <laughs> oh, yeah, then but I, like we, we could give them some of their records, and we could give them ideas. If the birth parent has stipulated, if if they have not stipulated that they don't want to be found, if they if 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 it's a blanket to where they could search for them, we could give them identifying information, and it all depends on when that adoption took place. You know, if it was before Mm -hmm. 1980 or after 1980, it's a stigma. stipulations on what information we could give. Sometimes we only can give non-identifying information, but then now the court has a the Hello? What happened? Yeah. 
I, I think I, she, she she was on, but then she wasn't on. See her can she get her back on? Well, she can call. She has the number. Yeah. Uh huh. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I I made that. And then it's funny that um, when I look at the picture Antoine Fisher, it reminds me of when Luke found his parents. You know. Thank you. And I, I, I 
appreciate your input because you're speaking from direct experience as an adopt parent. Yes. Yeah. And I used to live a single life. Yeah. <laughs> so I said I traded my Cadillac for a bus. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, okay. Yeah. Okay. All yes, right. Then, Miss Payne, I thank you <laughs> for enjoying us. And uh, Miss Sandra, I appreciate mm-hmm. you coming and giving yes, us. Thank you for having me. Oh, yeah. You can come back anytime. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, and just let me know. Just let me know, and I come back anytime. Okay, thanks right. so much. Because I think it's been and just years. Like we are, we always looking for foster and adopt parents too, and right. homes of black children three one three nine six one four seven seven seven. We're always looking for more foster parents and adopt parents. Thanks so much. Okay. Welcome. All right. All right. Okay, I'd like to uh, say if there are any guests now, if they would have something to say before we go off. Nobody has anything to say? Well, you know, it doesn't matter. I appreciate you guys being here. Uh, My Mm -hmm. co-host, he didn't say anything tonight. Co-host? Are you still there? Still here. We had a great program. You guys did a great <laughs> job. I just figured I'd sit back <laughs> and, and, and listen tonight. <laughs> I figured that. Uh, yeah. I had a, had a great job. I guess the, the only question I would have had, uh, is Ms. Hayes still there? Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Uh, hi, Ms. Hayes. The question I wanted to ask is, what schools uh, do the do the uh, children attend when they're uh, in the foster? Well, when they're uh, at the residential program. Well, it depends. You know, some residential programs have on-ground schools, and then some residential programs they'll go into to school in the local area. I mean, when I worked in okay. residential, they went to public school, and some of them went to Catholic schools when I worked in re- girls' residential group homes years ago. Okay, okay, mm-hmm. okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that was probably uh, that's one of the questions that I, I wanted to uh, inquire about. And um, mm-hmm. for the uh, subs- subsidy uh, guardianship uh what is the uh, amount of the subsidy? Does it uh, change based on the age of the children or is it a flat fee? Well, yeah. It changes once they turn 13. It changes. And normally it's the rate that the child was getting in foster care. Like when they're 0 to 12, it's $20.79. And then 13 to 18 it's twenty four dollars and I think seventy nine cents. Now that's now base rate. That, now that is per twenty four dollars is per okay. Okay. Per day. But that's base rate. Now the child has any specialized needs. If they're in special ed, if they 
have attention deficit disorder and you have to administer medication, um, then they may get a specialized rate, which is increased. You may have extra 5 or 10 or $15 added on to that base rate, and they reassess that every six months to state worker, because a state worker has to approve it. But when you're doing an adoption, we have to make sure that the rates are in place because once that adoption is final, that's the rate they're going to get every month. They issue the check from Lansing to the adopt parent monthly until that child turns 18 years old. Okay. Mm-hmm. So that's one thing we have to make sure that's in place. Mm-hmm. So at the uh, Home for Black Children, uh they actually stay there until they are um, either put in foster care or adopted. So they, they live there. No, they don't actually live there. The kids live in foster homes. So I supervise the, apart- the department that licensed individuals to become foster parents. So they're either in foster homes, non-related, okay. or either they're with, in foster homes with a relative that's related, or they're in a straight relative placement. So it's three different types of placements, or either a fictive kin now. Like if it's a close friend of the family, now the court is letting a child stay with the mother's girlfriend. Like say if the mother had a girlfriend that was real close with the family, and she said, well, I'll help you with your child. That's called fictive kin. So it's four different types of placements that the kids can stay in. So they don't actually physically live in our building. They come okay. to our building for visits with their birth parents once a week. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Now, are there any companies that have established uh, homes for the uh, foster children, say, uh uh, someone wanted to run it as a business, uh, but had the best interest of the children and wanted to foster 10 children in one home. It may be well, a very a large home, maybe a mansion or something. That's a group Is home that... where you have to go through zoning and get licensed through the, directly through the state, and you got to go through zoning. So that's a different license process than where we license individual homes and you could be licensed for okay. up to three or four children. Or sometimes it could be four or five children if it's a relative and we want to keep all the relatives together, and we give right, them a okay. group home license, but it's a different group home license than your large group home license. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Now, who would mm-hmm. do a large group home license of six children the, or the more? The state does that directly. A private agency, okay. we can't do those. Yeah, that you have to go directly through the state in whatever county you live in. Okay, okay. Mm-hmm. Do they still have safe homes? Do they still well, have what? It used to be St. Francis years ago. That was one of the, uh, like, a group home for children in the system. Well, the only day, they don't have that many left. I mean, you have Miss Maria for the girls, and you have yeah, Wolverine the yeah, for the boys. What, which one for the boys? Wolverine over there on Lenox on the east side of Detroit. Oh. And they have a shelter for boys, too. 
You, oh, I mean, mm-hmm. most of those places have closed, and you have Davenport for the girls on the West Grand, East Grand Boulevard, and you have Miss Maria in Dearborn as as far as residential, and they have an independent living program too for girls. But most of those places, I mean, years ago they had so many residential facilities. Yeah, most they did. of them have all closed. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The funding. And the one I used to work at is closed. And they were around for years Orchard. and they closed. Mm-hmm. Which one are you talking about, uh, Miss Hayes? Yeah. Which one are you talking about, the clothes that you used to work at? What's it? At Barrett House. I used oh, to work okay. at Barrett House years ago over there on John R. in Warren. They were around for years, and they closed. Ooh, over ten years ago, they closed. So why do you think? Yeah, I worked these there homes about eight closed? years. Pardon? Why do you think these homes closed? A lot no of closed due to lack of funding is the main reason. Okay. Lack of funding. Yeah. Okay. And a lot okay. of them are kind of like forced to close because then it's a competition of getting residents. And if you're low on your residence, I mean, that's what keeps your – it's a shame to say, but the, it, the kids represent monetary payment to that yeah, organization. Yeah, income for the staff. And if, you yeah. have, if, you, if you're licensed for 24 girls, but you only okay. have 10, that's going to put you okay. in financial difficulty. Yeah. Budget yeah. is based on 24 girls. Right, that's true. But if okay. you're not getting the referrals or if it's so many homes out there and so much, years ago it was so much competition. I mean, it was so okay. many group homes years ago to where hmm. not everybody was getting an even amount of referrals. And so that kind of put people out of business. Yeah. Okay. Now, let me but it ask put them out this, of business uh, to where now we don't have enough because primarily with our teenagers, a lot of them have so many behavioral issues to where right. if they've been in four and five and six foster homes, they've exhausted all resources. We have nowhere to put these kids. If the foster parent says, I want this kid replaced, they got to give a 30-day notice. Wow. But like I tell them, if this kid is eight years old and up, because I supervise intake too, it's going to be a hard time trying to find a placement. So, I mean, you got to sometimes give us more than 30 days. You give the 30-day notice. I've tried to find a placement within 30 days. But sometimes it's very difficult. In the state, we have to go through so many steps before we can even apply for residential placement. Mm-hmm. Even to get them into a shelter, we still have to make mm-hmm. all efforts to try to get them into the least restrictive setting, which is a foster home. But sometimes some of these kids, they're not appropriate for a foster home. They need to be in a more yeah. structured setting, which is residential. Okay. Yeah. Now, were there any uh, places where there were co-ed, where the, uh, the males and the females stayed together? Yeah, years what? ago, and, and and that kind of dissipated too. Uh, Methodist Children's Home—they had a girls' wing, and they have a boys' okay. wing. 
I don't think they had the girls' wing anymore. I think they just deal with boys. Mm-hmm. Methodist okay. in Redford, Michigan, is about the only residential. Oh, yeah, St. Francis, too. But see, St. Francis closed. <laughs> and St. Vincent's yeah. there, Fisher, too. They had a co but what about Don Bosco? Don Bosco was for boys. They're gone too now. And you know wow. they were around for years. Off yeah. They were around for years, Don Bosco. Don Bosco's gone. All of them are gone. And even um, Lula Bell Stewart with the women and the babies, they're gone. Yeah. So, I mean, all these main facilities that was around for years, they're all gone. Children's Aid Society, one of the oldest organizations in yeah, the state, aid, yeah. they're gone. Even Catholic Social Services has gotten out of foster care now. They closed a few years ago to where Methodists assumed all their cases. Okay. Yeah, I mean, people were surprised when Catholic Social Services closed. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, right. those are wow. old-time agencies. Yeah. That's what we call the old-time agencies from back in the day. All of them are gone. Yeah. All of them. That's, That's cool. why home right. black children, we're one of the last of the ones from years ago. We're 54 years old. Wow. We're one of the last of all of that group. Black family development and homes of black children. We're the, mm-hmm. we're the last two. Yeah. Well, let me ask, let me ask you this. Um, just based on your years of experience, um, in dealing with uh, foster children and adopted children, what would be, if you had three wishes, what would be your uh, three wishes that would make this an ideal program for these children that are in the system? Uh, would it be bringing back some of those old-style uh, agencies that used to exist? Would it be uh, larger uh, residential programs for some of the kids, or would it be instituting some mental, more mental health things? What What would be your ideal things that you feel would make uh, it would be in an ideal program? Because mental health, that's another sector of the population that those services are gone. Your Lafayette wow. clinic. All of that is gone. Yeah. It, it's not too many mental health services. I would like to see foster care is not for everybody. It, it's a perfect okay. family-like atmosphere, but not all kids do well in a foster home. It's ideal to say, well, we want all kids to be in a foster home, but some kids don't do well. We need to bring back some of those old-time residential facilities, Um Okay. We need more foster parents, more adopt parents that understand these children. The old time mm. foster parents understood these children. And they had yeah. they did um what you call on the job training. Okay, we always had training for foster parents, but to me they network more with one another. They okay. network mm-hmm. more with one another. These these people that come forth now I would say not all of them, but a lot of them is not invested like the old-time foster parents. I'm talking about foster parents yeah. from 20, 30 years ago. I mean, I've been a social worker 45 years, so mm-hmm. I've seen wow. it all. 
And these newer foster parents, they're not like the old-time foster parents. They're not. They don't stay in it as long. They don't understand these kids. And that's another thing that's different, too. The families are more dysfunctional now. So Mm. the kids have a multitude of mental health issues that's very difficult for some of these foster parents to handle, and, and that's very different, too. I mean, back then it was only a little discipline problems with the biological family, but now it's a lot of dysfunction just in our family network, period, and that's where it got to start. And another thing they cut out that used to help families is prevention programs. Yeah. They used to have a very good prevention program. They cut it out to mm. work families, you know, to where they don't have to come into the system. So they need to bring all that old school stuff back, which is prevention, all of that back. Yeah, but well, like you were the saying. The bottom line is money, money. Okay. And like oh, you yeah. got to contact your state legislation to write programs we need. But people don't hmm. know to do that. Yeah, that's true. Well, like yeah, you people saying, don't know, you know to do that. Thing. So you lack the funding, programs closed, so you're not getting the services that we got 30 or 40 years ago. Right. Yeah, yeah you were like saying. Ask he, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I was just going to go say, you know, uh, one of the things that's different now is technology. You know, back in the old days, yeah. you didn't have the technology that you have today. You know, right. you got a cell phone. You know, you got a computer, you know, in the palm of your hand. And so, you know, it's kind of hard to censor that and and the Facebook and the TikToks and all that stuff. So, And then these yeah, younger right. parents are different, too. You know, these these young parents are different. So, you know, that's... They're totally different I mean, from we the all, young parents of years yeah, ago. That's true. I mean, we always had dysfunction, but, you know, some of these kids, you know, bring dysfunction to another level. Now, I, I don't know That's if some of these it's at a kids. Level. Yeah, I don't know if some of these kids are, you know, crack babies, you know, that had kids, and you know, but I think some that of them that, are. Some of them are. Yeah, some of these parents true. that we're dealing with are the adult version now of the crack epidemic. Just yep. think, the that's crack epidemic was in the eighties, so that's what yeah, we're dealing with the now. These these that's parents true. that's in their twenties and stuff. These are the crack yep. babies that's having babies now. That someone told me that. So that's we, what we're dealing that's with. That's what they're saying. Yeah. Yeah, we yep. are. Is yep. it possible to, um, what about um, uh, infectious diseases? The girls and the boys coming in with infections, like the venereal diseases. How do we deal with that? Is there a certain well, question I mean, that they just. Well, I don't know the percentage of that. As far as coming into foster care with that, I mean, we haven't had any um, Uh come in with that, come into care with a, you know, STD or anything like that. So I don't know the exact percentage, say, statewide. You know, Uh statewide, naturally, that percentage may be a little higher. But, say, based on our agency, we haven't had any to come in with that. Uh-huh. How about so, yeah, it's, it's different from each agency. How about well, we haven't had any girls pregnant. get pregnant, but you not to say that that doesn't happen, but it hasn't happened right. at our agency, you know. Okay. So, yeah. um, 
I don't think that percentage is real, real, real high, though. I really don't. I don't think it's that high mm-hmm. statewide. Is it possible? Is it possible to get one of your resource books? Pardon? Can we get one of your resource one of your resource books? Oh, that's for resource staff services. Yeah, because we get yeah, different what, you know. pamphlets out, and and one of the main um, agencies where I used to work and who you said you dealt with, like for uh, post adopt services, Orchard. They have a very large post-adopt service um, department, and they're in all the counties. So we always refer people to Orchard, so we always give them one of Orchard's pamphlets. And it's a couple mm-hmm. of other agencies that have post-adopt services, um, like a you know, I know the, counseling. I know that for myself. Uh-huh. I, uh, I just started to get older, especially when I had the boys. You know, when not the boys were there. I had to find, um, I wanted someone to talk to them, you know. So I had to go out with mm-hmm. my insurance, when I was on my insurance, I had to find a psychologist for them to work with them. And, and uh, you know, and um, my mm-hmm. my uh, mental health insurance from the job paid for that. But I remember Dr. Dan, uh-huh. he used to work uh, uh what's that other place, uh, Job Corps, when they were there. But he worked, yeah. he really worked with my kids for years, especially the boys. She worked with them, even for Don, you know, when she had mm-hmm. her mishap, you know. But he was very effective. He was a psychologist, so very, you know, and working see, with the kids. And that's another thing we lack of. A lot of African-American male psychologists and psychiatrists and counselors. Yeah. We need more of that, more mentoring programs for our children. That's another thing we yes, need. We A lot of those mentoring programs are gone or they don't they don't have a lot of mentors like I think Big Brother and Big Sister is still around but they don't have as many mentors like they used two years ago. So mm-hmm. people aren't coming forth to be a mentors. So that's a good program. Big Brother. Very good. Sister. Yeah. I noticed uh, when uh, when I took them to see Dr. Daniels and they all Mama we got to go and so but the thing that really got them. When we pulled up, you know, because I'm coming out to work, I'm tired, you know. But they looked mm-hmm. at his car. They said, oh, mama, look at that. Look at this car. I said, what do you mean what's the car? I don't care about no car. Get, get in here to be, catch and talk to, you know. Oh, mama, uh-huh. he got a Jaguar. He got a Jaguar, mama. He got, here's this black man, educated, and got a Jaguar. That was their language. <laughs> I was uh-huh. talking, you know. Yeah. I'm tired. I don't yeah. want to be bothered. Get in here, you know what them deals. Oh, mama, look, he got a Jaguar. Yes, and then he mm-hmm. like he was like they talk about the Tesla now. I don't know what a Tesla is, you know, all this other stuff. Yeah. But that's the thing that they could see this black man not selling drugs, not doing this, but he was educated <laughs> and could talk and he talked with each one of them, you know, and I took them for years. Yeah. Then he finally moved out of the And for our now, boys, but, we definitely need those male mentors for our boys. I mean for the girls really too, but yeah. Definitely our boys, we need those mentors. Yeah. He was very good, very good. Mm-hmm. I mean, really. He was very, very good, Dr. Daniels. You remember Dr. Katz? Yeah. You remember Dr. Katz? Yeah, Dr. Katz. Is he still around? I don't know. Because everybody, when I did foster care, when I was, you know, a foster care worker years ago, Everybody used to refer the kids to Dr. Tat right there on Southfield. And that's where I found Dr. Daniels. Yeah. I think he was on 8 Mile. 
He was excellent, well, Doctor Cat. Because yes, Doctor Friend, he, he did my nephew. Yeah, very, very good. I don't know if he's still know what happened. Doctor Cat. He may have retired. I don't know. I haven't heard of him passing. Uh-huh. Maybe he's retired by now. Uh-huh. He was very effective, adoptive, so. and foster care and uh, foster children. Yeah, that's why I found Doctor Daniels. And I used and to go really to all boys and everything. Well, we uh-huh. used to have conferences. Dr. Katz used to do some workshops for us, and I used to go to all his workshops. He was excellent with the foster kids. Yeah. Yes, he was, Dr. Katz. We don't have them anymore. No, no. Let me ask you, how would you incorporate a mentorship program uh, with your agency? If there was a mentorship program, um, how would you partner with them? Tell me how that would look to you. Just off the top of your head. Well, we would naturally have to discuss that with them and what would be their um, agenda and, you know, all of that mission statement. But then our CEO, you know, she would um, have to meet with them because, you know, she would have the final say as to even if she wanted that type of program. Yeah, so they would have to meet with our CEO. Okay. What's the uh, CEO's name? Jacqueline Moffitt. Okay. L Y N N, not L I N E. Jacqueline Moffitt. L Y N N. Yes, it's yes, J-A-C-K-L-Y-N-N. It's a K in there? Q-U-E-L-Y-N-N at the end. Or it's a J-A-C-Q. Yes, Q-U-E-L-Y-N-N. Yeah. Okay. Moffitt. Yeah, Jackson. Moffitt, okay. M-O-F-F-E-T-T. That's E-T-T. our um, CEO. Okay. CEO right. and president. Very good. All right. Well, I think we have so a great show. I thank you. I thank you. I thank you, Ms. Okay. I really appreciate that. And And I I will be calling on you another time. (laughs) Yeah, just let me know ahead of time, and I have no problem talking about foster care, the need for foster parents and adopt parents for our children, or or mentoring programs, definitely mentoring programs for our children, too. Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you for everything that you do. That's uh, yes. That's uh, a okay, tough job you're welcome. much needed. Thank you. Oh yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, Miss Lucy, anybody want to say yeah. anything before we shut down? Thank you. <laughs> oh, okay. <And> thank you. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Okay, well, the last thing I have to say is perfect people don't drink, they don't lie, they don't cheat, they don't fight, they don't complain, and don't exist. (laughs) I thought you were describing me. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.
people. All good right. Night. <laughs> okay, good, good night. night. Bye-bye. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.